Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Rachel. How are you doing? Good. Are you going to ask how I'm doing? How are you? I'm doing damn fine. I'm just so excited to be here to talk about something with you. I, I, in oh, fact, I'm holding some, a, something. Something in particular. Who knows what it could be? Could it be a science fiction television series? It usually is. Could it be Desperate Housewives? Finally, we're talking about Desperate Housewives on the podcast? No. No, I don't think so. But that's not the episode of TV that I watched for this. Oh, but that's a science fiction television series, Desperate Housewives. <laughs> did you know did you know that Yes the... I did. Yes I did. But maybe the listeners don't know, the yumlings out there don't know that the last but it's few not, seasons not relevant to it, this. It is re- watch me make it relevant. The last few seasons of Desperate Housewives take place in an alternative future where they had to make up future technology and future problems and still relate it as if it's a normal soap opera. And that's very similar to the television series Babylon 5, in which it takes place in a future where they had some predictions of what would come and what would stay. And don't you just delight in when you go back to older science fiction shows, the things that they thought would be and the things that they maybe got wrong and maybe got right. Rachel, we're nearing the end of Babylon 5, and I want to ask you, out of all of the crazy shenanigans here, do you have a particular favourite of that variety of like, oh, Babylon 5 thought blank would still be a thing, or blank would happen in the future? I don't know. Uh, Like, my mind immediately went to Trace for some reason. Who? Trace. Who's that? Uh, one of the bad boys that JMS picked up for an episode. So your favourite thing is there'll still be British street thugs in yeah. the future. My favourite thing is the idea that in, what was it, like 2027 or something, like f- petrol would be made illegal and motorcycles would no longer exist in the way they used to and it would be a dying breed. That's one of my mm. favourites. That and newspapers are still in the future and you can personalise them. but. Yeah, they get printed on paper. Yeah. If it, and you, if you return it, you get like the a, next a one kind of free. It's recycled. But we are here on Yum Yum Podcast to, yes, indeed, review, rewatch, and uh, review, rewatch, and discuss episodes of science fiction television. And we are doing Babylon 5 currently. And. We are nearing the end of the series, so there's a little bit of a tear forming in the eyes right now, and we wanted to have some guests join us, some people to bring along for the ride toward the end of the show, and we have some recurring guests. They're back. The the, the meddlesome duo are here, Rachel, your favourites of the Babylon boys. It's Sean... words in my mouth. Yes, yes, it's Rachel's favorite SS, uh, Sean and Steve. Hello. Hello, I'll take it. Oh, excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. Hello. Yeah, take sure. That, you'll yeah, you'll take, take being called part of the SS. <laughs> the favorite SS. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, you know what? Yes, yes, I will. Let's take it. Yeah, Steve, I can see Steve I appreciate being okay it. with that. Thank yeah. you, Rachel. I won't, I won't and, uh, comment uh, any further. I won't comment any further. I'll just say that I think Steve would be especially okay with that. I would not, uh, personally. Uh, I just want to make that clear. Uh, but uh, that's all I want to say. 
Uh, but uh, and we will never yeah, hear from Sean in the rest bye, of the Sean. podcast. Yeah, Thank you for yeah, joining, bye, Sean. Sean. It was such a delight to have you here for the last ever time. Now, uh, special Steve, as we like to call him, could you tell I'll us a it. bit about yourself and the podcast that you're from? Yeah, I am one of three last best. Uh, well, uh, Babylon Five viewers for the last best Babylon Five podcast. Sean and I here have never seen Babylon Five before. We're going through it the first time, and our friend Ben is a longtime veteran. I think this is third or fourth time for him. Uh, and we just finished up over at the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're done. Uh, by the time this comes out, I, I think our last episode might be out as well. Uh, I think so. Depending on I when it'll it probably falls. run together. Yeah. So and very exciting. When you say yeah. last episode, you mean you've reached the total total finish line of B five or just the series because oh just the series more. yeah last episode of the, oh, the series I can't wait to watch Crusade I guess there's, yeah there's more uh, there's a, a fair amount more that uh, we're still going to be watching so uh, you can keep an eye out for that we can yeah we'll watch Crusade and uh, whatever movies are left and uh, of course the uh, whatever it was the 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 Legend of the Rangers or of whatever course, that is and, uh, that the I've Road Home the newest film yeah that the animated came out. film um, where you can hear, yeah. hear Phil Lamar play Franklin. Hmm? I am I deeply Phil. interested in that, yes. The voice of Vamp. Yes, Metal Gear Solid yes. the voice of Hermes uh, from Futurama. So, so yes. we finally um, have more Futurama cast members on board for Babylon 5. And yes, since we've had you on, you have now finished the main lot of the show. You have gone through it. You are no longer virgins of Babylon 5. You are now approaching Chad level. You only get to Chad level once once you see Edward Woodward's son in Babylon 5. That's when you get to Chad level. Uh, that's when you get to that point, uh, when you see his shining bald head. Uh, but I want to hear from one of you guys what particular episode of Babylon 5 we are talking about today. Uh, all We're my dreams about- turn asunder. Yeah, all my dreams torn gotcha. asunder. Yeah, well, you won. I yeah, yeah, get that. I was like, wait, which one was it? It's like, oh yeah, it's all all my dreams torn asunder, and all my you dreams. Know, my dreams, they're asunder. Is and there's an and in it, so oh, I forgot about that. And I gave one of you guys a DVD description for this particular episode, and could you hit us with that right now? Uh, I believe that was me that have that so uh yeah i'll read it uh it is uh the beginning of the it is the beginning of war perhaps the beginning of the end of the fragile alliance when garibaldi's lapse in judgment turns a peacekeeping a peacekeeping assignment into an all-out conflict uh yeah so he fell asleep uh and uh uh he screwed up thank you (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for the marvelous reading of the DVD description. We call that a sloppy Sean special on the pod. Shut up. I didn't say anything. Who gave off the most yum, yum energy? I think I'm going to go for a classic. Going to go for Jakar. Wow. Why Jakar? Why would you say Jakar is the person that is similar to the Star Trek Discovery moment where a character licked their lips, threw their hair back, and sexily, breathily, hornily said, yum yum? Just him dealing with Londo. Just just loved it. I also have a contender for someone who deals with Londo, and that's the minister, the very smug minister guy. That man... 
He is just a breath away from saying yum yum if JMS wasn't afraid. If JMS was not a coward, he would have let that guy go wild with mm-hmm. that line. If it was just like he's talking to Veer and he sees McBarry's bags in the background, he's like, ooh. Oh, Barry's yum yum. I like the idea that a Centauri noble who's probably never left the royal court is thinking of McBarry's. <laughs> I think about McBarry's all the time. <laughs> now, Sean, you're an expert on Babylon Five. Now you know who who Trace is for for a start. You know who that is. When we say Jinxo, you can nod and say that was my favorite character, Jinxo. You even interviewed Jinxo. That's how much of a pedigree you have in this fan base now. And we need to hear from your expert opinion. Who could have said yum yum if given the opportunity? Uh well, uh I you know, I would say probably uh I don't remember his name, but he was the Centauri uh, the Centauri guy who just keeps uh, 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 telling Londo that he can't talk to the to uh, the the Regent. Uh, I don't remember his same name. Same pick as Ryan. He doesn't get um, a name but, in this episode. But he's very yeah. I, I don't believe he has a name. But he I, I think he has the he has a certain quality, um, like a lot of the Centauri do. Uh, the, a lot of the Centauri actors and a lot of the characters, uh, they just have kind of a they they just have a, a, a you know quality to them. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think he would be my pick. Would you say they have a yum yum energy to them? Uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't yeah. sound too sure about it. Are you really uh, sure? Well, I yeah, I uh, sure that works. That works for me. I don't trust slimy Sean with his assuredness there. But stylish Steve, what do you think? Who has oh, YYE? I gotta go with Jakar. He's just so. Uh... He's moving through this episode. He knows what's going on. He volunteers to sit in a jail cell. He thinks it's all a big joke. It's all great. It's all Jakar. We, the, the panel here is divided. It is up to our yumlings. Please vote at home. Email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com. Who out of the two options had YYE in your opinion? And we'll read those emails. We'll stroke our chins. And if it goes against either of our options, we'll say no. I don't know about Sean, but I agree. That the minister has YYE. He just wasn't my number one pick. I think Sean agrees with you. He's not too sure about it, but uh, I think he may have an agreement with you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about our opinions on this episode. And Rachel, what do you think about And All My Dreams Torn Asunder? What has been your journey with it over the years, over the rewatches? Yeah, it's just okay. Wow, Rachel. Just kidding. It's a great episode. Londo gets to tear up paperwork and throw it like confetti. (laughs) What's not to like? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rachel, you you just summed it up very beautifully. What's not to like is a great thing to say in regards to this episode. There's, There's so many moving pieces, there's uh, big plot stuff with the Centauri and the Interstellar Alliance, but it also has some really hard-hitting character work with with Gar- Garibaldi and, and Delenn and Zack even and, and Sheridan. Everyone's getting something to do. It's shot by Mira's husband. Oh, the direction is very standout in this. Uh, Steve, and All My Dreams Torn Asunder was the episode that I thought we should have you two on for. So I'm wanting to know what has been your opinion on this episode. 
Oh, I loved it when we first saw it, and it was so nice to revisit it because it's just such a great moment of of the pieces. Like it, the, the season builds up to this. Like this is kind of the the tip top. This is when Londo leaves Babylon Five. This is when things start to just kind of go to the end point. It's great, uh, and it has some excellent heavy hitting scenes. Are you kidding me? Uh, Zach and Garibaldi, uh, Londo and Jakar. All of the council stuff. And uh, Delenn gets to talk about candles. Who doesn't like that? She does get to talk about candles. It's not as riveting as when TNG talked about candles. But, uh, Sean, what do you think about And All My Dreams Torn Asunder? Uh, yeah, I mean, I basically agree with what everybody said. I, I really like this episode. Um, yeah, it's it really, it's all been kind of leading to this. And it's really like... I appreciate that the show uh, ends in kind of a kind of an upsetting place, sort of. I mean, a lot of characters kind of go off and kind of have like kind of interesting endings that are kind of you know appropriate for their character. But it is like a pretty it's pretty rough. Like even after the you know the Shadow War and everything, there's still a lot of lingering conflicts and like even you know the kind of nice kind of peaceful thing they tried to do with the alliance and everything really is you know butting heads and just it's things are not working the way they wanted. Uh, and it's, it's pretty rough. Um, and so it's, I appreciate that. Like, yeah, it is. It's one of those episodes where kind of everything blows up. Uh, all these things kind of fall apart. Uh, and I think, yeah, especially putting it kind of so late in the season, I appreciate because it's, it's really interesting to have it like a conflict like this so late in the show. Um, and yeah, it's again, I, I'm repeating what everyone else said, but yeah, the car is wonderful in this, uh, the stuff with, um, like the stuff with Garibaldi, the acting with him and uh, and Zach Allen, I think was really great. Uh, really felt like you know two friends who were kind of trying to kind of work each other's stuff out, and um, yeah, an excellent episode. This is an episode that I very much enjoy. I was on a Last Best Babylon Five podcast episode to go over Exogenesis, which I revealed at the end was my least favorite episode of the entire show. And it was a real surprise. I was like, really? This is worse than this? And I want to say up top that this is my favorite episode of Babylon 5. Oh. This is my personal favorite. There are ones that I maybe would consider greater, better than, but this is my this is my favorite. This has all of the stuff I like in Babylon 5. It has great Londo material. It has the use of the, the science fiction, the war, the diplomacy, the interpersonal conflicts, and... Some of these hard-hitting subject matters, with Garibaldi in particular, the acting is phenomenal. It is just so good. And it also has some of my favorite, if not my favorite, piece of direction in the series. I am so heartbroken at the fact that uh, Mira Falan's husband directed this episode, and this was the only one in the entire B5 uh, catalog that he did. He doesn't do any movies, he doesn't do anything in Crusade, and it's such a shame that they brought him in at the last minute because I would have loved to have seen him do more episodes through the show. He just has such a unique uh, eye in, 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 this, uh, in this series, and it makes me fond of this episode. There's certain shot compositions, certain choices in the editing and the way that the characters are framed that have lingered with me and what i what i really love about the fifth season many people do not like the fifth season many people think of it as a bit of a slow drudging thing a little bit too Tacked much on a little bit too much in the gear of season 1 
where it has uh, some goofy stuff, some slice of life, but I love how bittersweet it is. I like that it's tragic in a way, and this episode is a great example of that, in which it's not even as if this episode is an explosion, it's more you're seeing the train start to derail, and you and it's like that moment before everything collapses. And I love that type of stuff in shows. I love that type of stuff in shows. It's one of the reasons I loved, say, Better Call Saul, in which that's a whole entire series of just that sensation, where he's like, oh... This is like the building blocks towards great sorrow and sadness. And that's what I feel about And All My Dreams Torn Asunder. Uh, Rachel, we said it. Mira's husband came in to direct this one. We don't get many people uh, involved this personally within the production to to get to direct stuff. We have Stephen First is the only cast member in the show to go behind the camera. We haven't had anyone's... Uh, really? Partners really, involved yeah. outside of uh, outside of Bruce Boxlight and his wife at the time acting in front. But what do you think of uh, the direction in this one? I love it. Like the moment of Garibaldi sort of falling into that <laughs> that cup. Yeah, that big glass of his, where he's he's knocked out. It's just really emblematic of. The small deliberate choices that are littered throughout this episode that make it unique and very striking. Uh, Sean, you have noted on your podcast, you you both have uh, some of the direction and visuals in the series over the course of your podcast and I was just curious to hear from from you. What do you think about how this episode is presented on on that level? Uh, sure. Well, I yeah. I mean, I think it looks great. Uh, I really appreciate a lot of the. Um, I I really like how a lot of uh, whenever they go to Centauri Prime, I, I appreciate how a lot of that stuff looks. Um, and uh, there's a, a fair amount of. Uh, uh, like space stuff in in this because there you do see like a little bit more of like some space action with the the um with like the the fighting between you know like the Centauri and everything uh and uh yeah there's uh it it, it looks great it's it's very um yeah I mean very very dramatic uh again yeah especially for for this point in the show like I don't know it's just so uh kind of haunting and especially like that kind of those scenes where it's kind of just uh, Sheridan and Delenn kind of just together, like especially the way it kind of starts with Delenn kind of just with uh, her kind of like staying up all night and that with uh, Sheridan coming in. Uh, it's very, yeah, it's very, very moving and very kind of sad. Uh, so like, yeah, there's a really good atmosphere to that. They put a lot of emphasis on positioning the camera and moving the camera in a way that we never really got an abundance of i'm really thinking about that uh that overhead shot like that almost bird's eye view shot of londo in the council chambers we never really got to mount the camera up there and do stuff like that and have people doing a lot of fun business in the background like when londo tears up the 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 evidence and throws it in the air you see jakar just kind of lunge up being like oh no my papers and and and, and sheridan quietly calm him down and just a lot of fun details like that mixed into what is a rather hard-hitting and and heavy episode. 
Uh, Steve, what do you think about how this is uh, put together? It's it's really thrilling, and it the first time we watched it through together, it was a real shot in the arm because, like you said, yeah, there's just so many interesting visual choices. Um, watching it a second time, you do notice these little details a lot more. Um, just the way the ambassadors act in those those big scenes, uh, the way that certain props or or uh, sets look. Uh, it, it was great. There, my favorite was when Sheridan is screaming at the end and they keep cutting to different angles of him kind of in opposition to himself. It's it's just really, yeah, like you said, it's it's a real bummer that this is the only one because uh, this guy, I, I don't know his name offhand, but he he's good. He's good. Now we gave you a promise and we are bound by that promise and damn you for asking for it. And damn me for agreeing to it. And damn all of us to hell, because that is exactly where we're going. We talked about peace. You didn't want peace. We talked about cooperation. You didn't want cooperation. You want war. Delenn is trying to sort of right herself. And John's just feeling like a useless tit. And... He tries to help a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you have the beginning where she's sitting alone, looking at a candle, crying. She has tears in her eyes, rolling down her cheeks, and John just stands at the doorway being like, Ah, oh, Delenn, don't you want to come back into bed? Come on. Come I'll on, you wa- got to get some sleep. And he, and he's, I love the pauses, the silent moments in their exchanges. They just have such a rapport with one another. These actors, they were relied upon to be not only the leads of the show in many ways, but also they're the heart of the show. Their relationship is important, and it's not a casual will they, won't they. They are married. They are going to have a kid soon. Like They need to be able to sell all of the facets of their relationship and you know, as someone who's been in a long-term relationship myself, I can really relate to to this moment where one of the people in 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 the relationship is suffering, and the other one doesn't know what to do, and so they kind of fluff it in a way because he just goes back to bed. It's like, okay, well, I can't do anything, so I guess I'll get some sleep. And it's the understanding that you can have the cake and eat it too when it is about relationship drama or exploring the dynamics of a romantically involved couple and bringing it into your large-scale galactic overarching season plot because they are deeply concerned and deeply worried about having to reveal this evidence to the council that will basically launch them into a war with their friend, with their friend Londo, and also that everything that they've been working toward has now started to collapse because of this. And you start out the 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 episode, and you end the episode by just having this husband and wife lean on each other, and they're not too sure of how to how to handle this at all. And Rachel, since you're a, a big uh, fan of this relationship, I mean. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about season five with John and Delenn? Because a lot of it has been living in them having these conflicts about leadership and bringing it bringing it into their personal relationship. Yeah, it it's a way to still make their interest 
It's a way to still make their relationship interesting without giving them unnecessary relationship drama. It's them learning to live their lives together and still learning about each other because they haven't been together for years and years and there's a lot of differences between them in terms of their personality as well as their culture. It is kind of nice to have a romantic couple at the heart of a show and it's like, oh, they just have like a nice functional relationship and it's not super full of drama. Like the world is full of drama. They have each other. And I guess now that we've seen it all, we could like, it's nice to know that, that's what the show ends on. Like it's a it's a love story between the two of them. So it's um, it is refreshing, and it's interesting. And uh, I guess the one thing I'll say is, I think Delenn really likes those uh, those beds that are just flat. And you know what? <laughs> all her talk, all her talk about no, we sleep is uh, slanted. I don't know. You're kind. Of, looks like you get a pretty good night's sleep in those things. Yeah, yeah. She, she's also yeah. yeah. She's. I think she had to cave. On she's the, half. She's, like, she's you know half what? human. Yeah, she's like you know yeah. what? It's pretty good. And they agreed to split their time between the quarters. So, but uh, John still gets a light where he has to raise his arm to turn it on. <laughs> That's the future. That's a cool light. Yeah. I <laughs> would love to think that John in the future earned the right to sleep on a flat bed he just earned it in a real petty way just one night he said i bought a flat bed and delenn was just up in arms they had a they had a fight about it and then he just turns around and just says lanier and then she goes okay okay you can have the flat bed okay okay let's not talk about that let's not talk talk, talk about how my best friend tried to ruin us okay bye have the flat bed and then that <laughs> was it because they are petty like that i love that they are also petty with one another well they'll just bring shit up like that it's like come on just just accept it. You're right. Oh, you can't agree with me on things. That happened in the last episode, their argument where she just agreed with him and then chastised yeah, him. Yeah, he's like, no, I just wanted to yell at you. I think with, with Sheridan, at least what I kind of like about, what I like about the way his character has been developed here is that he's not, uh, he's not particularly good at what he's doing, uh, especially in this season. Uh, he's really like kind of in over his head. Uh, like he's trying his best, uh, with a lot of this stuff, but like this, this is almost like, it's not even necessarily his fault. Like this, this issue that he's dealing with, with the Alliance and with the Centauri is almost like, it's almost too big for him to really be able to, or Delenn to really be able to handle, because this is, uh, this is kind of an aftershock effect from the shadow war with, uh, everything that's going on with the Centauri being kind of taken over by these other aliens and this whole other plot happening, uh, which we obviously find out about uh, later on. Uh, and so it's like, it's, it's just something that's just bigger than them. Um, and like to have, like to have like an external force that is just straight up, you know, attacking everything that he stands for. Like there's just nothing and there's nothing he can do about it. He has no control over it. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, he just, he just can't, he just can't handle it. And I, I, I like characters like that. I, I really like kind of like, uh, you know, quote unquote hero characters that are kind of out of their league and are like really just trying their best. They're trying to be good. And it's just, you know, things are just too big and too messed up for them to really be able to fully 
uh, have control over it, but, but, but they're trying. Um, and so that's very much this, especially like the last speech with Sheridan where he's kind of, you know, yelling at the Alliance about like, you want a war, you're going to get a war. Um, like he's really like just fed up. Like he's tried so hard uh, this whole year and it just, it just hasn't been working out. And I just, I feel, I feel for him. I it's really not do. what he's skilled at either. That's no, an element no. of the struggle too, nope. is he's basically learning on the job because he was never a, a, a politician. He was always a soldier. Even when he was running Babylon 5, he would always run it from the, I'm a guy who could get it done by flying my ship out there and shooting rather than talking. Uh, he always has found that side a little bit boring. And now this is his job. Well, see, he shoved it off onto Ivanova multiple times. And he's tried to shove off all of this stuff onto Delenn multiple times as well. But... I, I'm I'm in an agreement with Sean on this, and with everything he said, it also makes me think about that that is basically Babylon 5. This is not a series in which everything becomes a happy-go-lucky Star Trek utopia where we are the best of the best because of our shortcomings, and that is applied to every character, every faction, every race, every group. Uh, many of the themes go back to that. It's Great that he forms this interstellar alliance, but it's not going to go smoothly straight off the bat, if, if ever, because maybe that's just not how human nature works. Just because we have these ideals doesn't mean that everyone is going to be able to enact upon them because there's multitudes to us, both big and small, both good and bad. And... Rachel Londo is a character that's filled with this. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And he really struggles in this episode because you see him fight with what he knows to be true and what he is told to believe. He has to wear the masks. In season one, he talked about how to be a centaur, it's all about putting on these different personas, these different masks. And we've seen him over the course of the show have this grand, huge arc in the last season in particular. He's grown as a person. He's He has a soul, you could argue. He He's grown a conscience. He's held himself, he's held himself accountable for many things. But in this episode, he has to swallow that and go back to being the ambassador. He has to be the representative of his people, and his people are jerks. His people are denying everything, and whether it's because but of Machiavellian reasons or he not. He has grown because he goes to jail with Jakar. Season one, Londo. Oh, no. He didn't want to be in the elevator with him in season three. <laughs> he only did that because, you know, he needed to live. But that was something that was... Really, in... and even then he paused. Even then he paused. He's like, "Could I die right now?" Mm. Uh, I really love the scene where Londo storms, tries to storm into the council chambers, and he's stopped by by Zach. You have Zach, you have Via, and you have Londo, and Londo's using all of that bluster, all of that. Uh, he's a big, you know, bag of wind. He's just trying and trying, and he's indignant, but. You you feel for him in a way because he's a victim too he of his own making. Control back. He wants control back, and he's not going to get it. No, he's not, and he knows that his people are 
guilty, but he's not going to admit that to himself or out loud. The fact that all of this is happening is a sign. And he just, it's almost like he goes back into season one Londo mode where he's just this over the top person who's just going to say all of these pieces of rhetoric to hopefully get what he wants. And what really lingers with me is after he leaves, you have Veer standing there as he always does after Londo blows up. His line is just perfect. Because Zach Allen tells tells them that... Don't make it worse. Yeah, don't make it worse. Worse than what? Worse Worse than than what? Worse than what, Mr. Allen? And then V is gone. And what really hits me about that scene is we've come to a point where the cast of characters, most of them, if not all of them, are no longer trying to get one up on each other. There's no longer that need for ambition to screw over the other person. And it was just kind of sad. It's like they're friends. Zach Allen was having a great time with Veer in the previous episode. They're like their buddies. They're having a laugh. They're having a good old time. He was like joking around about how Veer became a man. And then in this one, he has to look Veer, the nicest person in the face, and tell him to buzz off, that we're going to let this happen. And you just have to take it. Uh, Sean, when it comes to all of these dynamics at play with the characters over the course of the show, how do you feel about how it comes to a head here when there is these grander conflicts that may get in the way of these people being able to be friendly? Uh, I mean, ultimately, I think this is just a matter of uh, uh, Londo and Veer got kicked out of the group chat and uh, we're very upset. And, uh, And basically, Zach was telling them, we're having a meeting here, but the meeting's about, well, we can't tell you what it's about. And so you, they're like, you're having a meeting in there about it. You kicked us out of the group chat, and then you started another group chat that's making fun of us. And he's like, well, I can't tell you that. Uh, but they know what that's, they, they know that's, and that's a painful thing when that happens, uh, to get kicked out of the uh, the cool kids club. Uh, and that's that's kind of at the heart of this. Um, but um but I, I, I like I, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's it's expected, but I think it's interesting that Londo knows that the, the something is going wrong, really wrong on Centauri. But he still has to like he has to perform it. He has to kind of really stick to the 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 party line uh, with with Centauri Prime and really like, you know, be the representative and, you know, tear everything up and say that this is all fabrication and all that, even though he knows it's all fucked up. Um, it's a very interesting kind of, you know, the two sides of him that you see, the performance and the real Wando. I think in the moment that he he tears that up, he is still hoping that it's a fabrication, that it's really after oh, yeah. he sees yeah. the footage that he's just like, they fucking played me. Yeah, he doesn't want to believe it. Uh, he definitely, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Our friend Ben, who's the other co-host of our show, calls it the JMS special, where it's like he'll have these big stories of galactic um, proportion, but at the heart of all of them are personal stories. And I think this is the epitome of that, right? Like things are happening. It's totally beyond their control and their friendships are on the line. Their professional lives are on the line. Um, their standing politically is on the line and it's just like, yeah, there's such pain and there's just such frustration. It, it sucks. You know, Zach is just doing his job. It doesn't seem like he wants to do it either, but, um, 
bad stuff is happening and uh this is definitely what one of the things i like about the show is you, you reap what you sow and it's time to uh it's time to to punish the people for uh doing all this bad stuff with the creepy crawlers so sorry but at the heart of it like like i said the the jms special like at the heart of it is a personal story about personal connections and what that means so uh he did it uh for every annoying thing jms does he does this very very well so hats off you knew something was going on but i believe you never knew the shape of it until now don't tell me what you think i know still i suppose i should thank you for respecting my privacy Jakar and Londo are, for many people, the 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 crux of the show. They're the thing that the people love about this show the most. And I'm not surprised to hear from you guys too that is the case as well. But I just want to know uh, from you what it is about their relationship that people gravitate towards, that people like yourself gravitate towards, and how does this episode add to that? You know, like, it's so interesting because I think that, like, I remember their dynamic kind of at the beginning of the of, of the show and, and kind of how it was developing. And it really got to a point where I was like, I don't think that they these two can ever be anything even close to friends or anything or even comrades in any way. Like things just got so bad. And I think if you had told me like in season three or even four, I'd say three, I guess, uh, if like, oh, like by the end of the show, they will be like pretty close. Um, I would, you know, be like, oh, I you don't know, like that. I don't think them strangling each other is uh, actually an act of mercy. Yes, Season three did tell actually, you that they would become friends. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, uh, that that is true. And I and I kind of reserved judgment because I was like, well, I don't I don't know what's exactly going to happen. And that did take place like years and years in the future. So I was kind of like, I don't know how this is going to shake out. Um, but um, but really, like, I think it they really did a. I think JMS did a pretty great job with it. Uh, I, just because it wasn't, it's not like they're like best, best friends. It's, it's like, they're kind of, it's always like a little uneasy, but they, they do have like a, and, and Jakar even expresses that like kind of part of the reason why he's doing it is that he just kind of thinks it's funny. <laughs> um, like, you know, in terms of, and that's, that's hit upon in this episode. It's been hit on previously in the season where he's just like, Oh, it would be so funny if I was his bodyguard, um, which he's is, I think very, scamp. Um, yeah, like that's so I, I I love that, but like it feels very, I think just because the actors are so good, uh, it's it's and the characters are so great, and we've the, the way they've been developed and the way they've both grown, it really works. Uh, and especially, um, you know, not jumping ahead too far, but like the way it kind of you know they, their their kind of last moments together are just like very very affecting, and uh, like I think they really. I think he really nailed it. Uh, I I really love it, and yeah, it's it's fun to see it's fun to see them have a little a little back and forth in this, and yeah, it's just it's a it's a delight. I don't know, they're both great. We all know it. Yeah, I think they really sum up the show, which is like, I hate to be so pat, but it's like this isn't like other sci-fi shows. Like things are constantly in flux, things are constantly moving. There are these shades of. Uh, not only people, but whole civilizations. Like we're not all Narn aren't like this, or not all Centauri aren't like this, or whatever. So like these two really are along for the ride. They, I think, they're very true to the core of their character. I don't think that's changed at all. 
But I think, yeah, I think it sums up all of Babylon 5. And I, I, despite them just being like two of the best actors, I think that might be kind of the reason too. It's like why people like Spock so much. It's Spock is Star Trek. And I think these two guys are Babylon 5, like for good and, and bad. And, you know, we all know the bad things Jakar did with his fake eye on uh, his wedding night. Yeah. Sheridan's wedding He's night. a little pervert. And he was He's hanging out with Londo when he did that. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't forget Two that. little perverts. <laughs> but, but in, in Londo's defense, Londo was like, Londo's hey, defense, what are you seeing, buddy? Let me give you the whole... Uh, in Londo's you know, defense, he didn't know he was doing that. He just said, it makes you want to wish that you could take an eye and look at them. And it's like, why would you say that, Londo? Well, I mean, he's a pervert, like, too. Well, don't you wish you could watch... <laughs> what your friends fuck? <laughs> have sex? Oh, don't worry. I oh, am watching can't. them have sex right now. Great. <laughs> the series is full of characters that are on the gradient of good and bad, and they maybe don't ever fall into the black or white in the main ensemble. And that's actually something that is a point to be brought up in these testimonies is some people on their face are noble and great and good, but we, the audience, know that there's more to them, and that is when Lanier comes into the picture, because Londo, he he tears up all the evidence. He says this is a joke. He makes a fact that it's fake news and that you could take all of this proof and twist it and turn it and jab it and blame anyone with what you've got here. You could point this to anyone, and Lanier comes in to give the evidence, the damning evidence, and the reason that it is... Bulletproof is Londo knows that Lanier is a good person, that Lanier is Wouldn't someone who lie. would never fabricate and lie about that, that. And he looks at Lanier as probably one of the only good people in Babylon 5. Like, oh, Lanier's a great guy. Like, he's he's criticized me for being an awful person before, but he was probably right to do that. And I'm just, I'm, I just find that such a, an interesting little twist on things is... Lanier is a character that all of us have had strong opinions about the character's journey over the course of the show. But, Rachel, in this testimony, the Interstellar Alliance is using the fact that Lanier is this person of high regard for everyone. Like, he yeah. is. Yeah, it, it is. And they they don't overplay it. They're like... Ranger, Ranger Linear, here, show us the thing, which is very different than the way that they do Franklin and Garibaldi's presentation of evidence, which is methodical. But they let the footage really speak for itself. They have it projected as a hologram, and then the direction has it projected on the actors' faces, the explosions and the light, and it works really well. And each one of them has a certain reaction to it. Londo, of course, Peter Jurisic is, as stated, he's one of the best actors on the show, and a part of that is he is very good when he doesn't need lines of dialogue. There's so much that he does with his eyes, with his mouth, just his whole entire face. But he's and still body. refraining because he's still got the mask on. It slips. 
slips, but it doesn't fall. You can see that he's terrified. He's like, oh, shit, this this is bad. This is very, very bad. There's no way I can explain this. And that's that's great, too, when Londo gets so fucked over that he can't just whip out one of his many great speeches that he uses to get out of a situation. In this one, he just says, I need to talk to my government. <laughs> I need to talk like, to them now. Uh, no comment. No comment. Sean, you're a big Lanier fan. You love that guy. And he's one of your favorite characters, right? Uh, well, <laughs> Sean, you're a real I'm a big fan of uh, what he did with, with the motorcycle. I really like that. Um, I'm sad that that hasn't shown up, but uh, I'd like his motorcycle a lot. Um, and uh, I mean, I like Bill Mummy. Uh, I enjoy him, uh, the the Mummy Man. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a spotless record up the, up to this point. I I can see why people would trust him. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, despite what happened later uh, up to this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I understand why people trusted him. It's just you know. Oh boy, um, it's hard it to fine. go back once you know. Yeah, it's yeah. It kind of puts a, it kind of puts a damper on everything. Well, there's a but he was fine. There's a damper he here fine. too because in season one, Londo and Lanier had a fun boys' night out, and they were good. And Lanier would lie for him to save his honor. And in this episode, Lanier is giving them the smoking gun to destroy everything that Londo holds dear. Everything Londo does is usually in the justification for his personal ambition, but also for the greatness of the Centauri. And now Linnea comes in, this guy that at one time he looked at as just an innocent, naive little child that he should teach a lesson to. Now that person is coming in to make it possible for the Centauri to get thrown out. And it's like, oh, you underestimated Linnea. Linnea is diligent. That's his thing. He's very good at what he does. And now it's come back to bite you in the ass. And that's one of the things I really love about and All My Dreams Torn Asunder and season five is there's this sensation of the noose is tightening around certain characters' necks. And although you hate the, we all hate the Linnea stuff, that's in season five the whole way through is every time Linnea is here, you are uneasy because you know that there's something deeply wrong there. And that's how I feel about this episode as a whole is just it's deeply like uncomfortable and tense because you know that things are not going to go well for many of the characters, Londo especially, especially since we know glimpses of what his future looks like. And I find that also thrilling about the episode is just this this way that JMS seasons it with levity and fun and all of the high stuff of like he is action and shooting and and galactic scale stuff but also just you are watching a tragedy unfold and you're going to have to take that in and uh for for yourself Steve I mean you talked about in your discussions on the pod that one of the things that really made Londo's journey in season 5 a little bit uneasy was we know how it ends for him at least you had the suspicion, like, I, I, his future seems like it's going to be that damned future we see from the beginning or from season three. I just want to know, um, with this episode, like, how, how all of the Londo stuff plays into that for you? I think it's, yeah, and I, I don't remember where we landed on that, Sean, but I, it, it's just like, uh, I didn't know if that was true canon or not. I thought it was at the time. I still kind of do. 
kind of seems like it. It seems that um, way. Like it seems like it all leads to that. Um, but it's not. It's not a hundred percent confirmed. It seems like. I mean, maybe they do in a later in something later. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'll tell you. It, it seems from what we've gathered in the series itself that it that's where it ends for him. Is that future where they choke each other out? That seems like where everything is. Yeah, it seemed that way to me, and it's just like, well, I, there's something kind of. I think the word of the episode is bittersweet where it's like, it is kind of thrilling to know how something ends and to see the steps that have to happen to get there. Um, as a viewer, it's nice. It, it's your brain makes these connections. It feels good. You're like, Oh yeah, I can see it. Oh, this is so cool. Uh, but it is sad because it's like, there's th- this guy is doomed. Um, and I think that's the real joy of a of a science fiction show is you could have this kind of almost fairy tale logic of like yeah this guy is just doomed to be a a a slave to the evil bug aliens the invisible bugs uh but it's presented in a way that's kind of grounded in the reality of the show we know i don't it's it's bittersweet it's thrilling it's a little sad uh but it's deeply memorable uh that's definitely something you don't see a lot of uh in shows like this great maker sometimes i feel like i don't understand anything anymore i liked even in that moment of absolute like hysteria and everything's going amok and he's like reading out all of the reasons why the centauri are not going to bow down to this and that we're going to shoot anyone who attacks our ships he still has i don't know just i find it a little bit amusing when sheridan tries to step in and be like well Londo, um you can't just walk away from this one he's like well funny enough i thought i already was bye <laughs> just leaving he's not going to be on centauri prime alone rachel jakar needs to come too. Yes. And I really love the scene where he explains that to Delenn and that she's the one that gets the chapters to keep safe. Like, he thinks about it this time. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to leave his quarters alone for Talon to come in and, and, and share his book unless he wants it to be that way. And Jakar and Delenn... Rachel, talk to us a bit more about this scene and and, and your thoughts on it. It's just lovely. That that's that's what I would say about it. It's both of these characters being deeply connected and vulnerable, which is so far, so far from where they started in the gathering where she was having to grab out her gravity ring and torture Jakar because yeah. he tried to make a political move. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she just glanced over. He's like, uh, um, I don't like the fact that we were slaves. And she was like, yeah, I don't really care about you, though. You suck. And yeah, you're right. Like, it's a, it's a big, like, journey, too. Everyone talks about, like, Londo and Jakar. But, but lots of the characters evolve. Lots of the ambassadors in particular, because by their very nature, they were opposing groups. They maybe liked each other on the very surface mm-hmm. level, but they but now had their own part agendas. Of an alliance. And they've become friends. They've become friends. Jakar and Delenn are friends. They they know more about each other than how they are political adversaries. They They know each other on a 
deeply familiar level mm-hmm. and oh Jakar gets a lot of mileage about losing an eye and the insights that it's given him to the universe but it's it's pretty good <laughs> I love that I love that whole little speech he gives about how you can look into the eyes of another and hers are enough it's 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 great material and uh Steve Delenn and Jakar, they're both very big characters and some of the best actors on the show too. We've already said about Andreas, but Mira is also, in in my eyes, a, a particular standout of, of the series. And uh, what do you think about this conversation between the two characters in which there's a potential goodbye there? It's, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, Mira doesn't get as much, I think when you're just talking about episodes, because they, uh, Peter and Andreas just chew the scenery so well. And she isn't that kind of actor, but I think you're right. I think she's just as good as the two of them. Uh, She breaks your heart so easily and so consistently. And this scene was great. I mean, this is one of the standout scenes in this episode, uh, episode full of them. And um, yeah, I, I just, I think it's exceptional. And like you said, Rachel, like everyone changes so much and it just, you don't even think about it. And then you're at the end and it's like, this is truly a show where I, I remember at the time watching it and I'm like, this could be it. Like, we don't know. We have what, four episodes left? Like on any other show, it's like, okay, this is probably going to reset a certain way. With this one, it's like I, literally anything could happen. Like you said, this could be a goodbye. It makes it much more... You're on the seat of your uh, the edge of your seat rather much more than you know if it's the finale of uh, Star Trek Enterprise, for example, when you're just sh- screaming and throwing stuff at the TV. But yeah, no, it's uh, these two are great. I I kind of wish we had more with them, but I think what we do did have is really special. So uh, who am I to complain? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's really really sweet, um, and it's it's very genuine. It's one of those like a, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the the kind of character goodbyes uh, at the end of the show are are very very sweet and sincere, and I, I do think it's it's one of those things where um, and I, I like it when they do this, where it's just very it's very obviously like obviously the the actors are acting, but it feels like it's very genuinely between the two actors in a way. Like there isn't really a lot of like they're they're really just kind of tapping into their own emotions for that um, because you know it's they're saying goodbye to each other. The show is wrapping up and. Uh, it feels very, it's very, very sincere. Um, and it's always like, you know, th- there's always that feeling of, um, yeah, I, I think that just, that just really comes across. It's, it's very, very touching. And, and we get to see even more of it, um, you know, through, the, you know, with the last few episodes of the show. Um, that's a, a real highlight. It's very, very sweet. They go to Centauri Prime, Rachel. They do. They do. And I, I really, really enjoy that. As establishing like little little scene, little moment of Jakar and Londo outside of the palace. Do you want to get more into it? Oh, it's very reminiscent of when the shadow ships flew overhead on Centauri Prime. There's this, there's all of these Centauri warships up above, and it's not going to be good. And Rachel. What do you like about the scene? Because Jakar has something to say about it all. There, it, he, he's been in this, he's been under these ships before and he didn't like it then. 
doesn't like it now. And that Londo feels threatened by his own people, which is a big difference. Even when he was... Because he was never scared of the palace until he visited it earlier this season. No, no. And even with, you know, his previous run-ins with different political figures, he was never afraid of his people as a whole. He had individual villains within the system. When Kataja was in charge, he, he still held true that the Centauri were worth worth it. They they were noble, that they were good, that they were something to be proud of, even if the emperor was insane. And that's changed now. He's he's afraid, as you said. Like he he's really unsure of it all. Especially because in his eyes, power means everything and he's the second most powerful man on Centauri Prime and he knows jack shit. He knows nothing <laughs> of what's going on and they won't tell him. They won't tell him what's going on. Uh, but we get some lovely Centauri Prime shenanigans. And uh, B5 boys, I'll pass it over to you. I know you're big uh, supporters and lovers of every time they go to Centauri Prime and you meet a whole cavalcade of weirdos and you get Jakar or Londo just jabbering away at one another. So talk to us a bit about what's been going on on Centauri Prime. What's happening? What are they doing? Yeah, I love uh, just the Centauri... I'm in awe of how many different f- flavors of, of weirdo freaks. They just wheel they in a different guy. <laughs> yeah. And he's just being such a, 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 it's, they're always so mean to Jakar. I really like when, when they're really mean to Jakar. Jakar is just kind of, just kind of throwing it back at him. It's, it's, it's delightful. Yeah. Jakar takes it all in good humor, but yeah, like they're just straight up racist to him. And it's just like, oh yeah, that, so that's how it's, it is down here. And of course, Jakar has like, like a Senate. I really like the season five Jakar, where he's kind of just uh, ascend. Like he's he's been through all of his major struggles, and he's kind of just ascended past all of it now. And just nothing like it's just all he's just Teflon. Like everything just n- nothing can nothing can phase him at all. Even when they sit, tell him they're gonna throw him in jail, he's like, do it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Fine, I've been there before. Go for it. Like he just it's 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 fun. It's very very fun a natural musk i quite enjoy it yeah he's like yeah yeah good for him and he knows the ladies love it he knows it. the centauri are just i love them too they're just such such absolute monsters each time you see them you're you're guaranteed a, a new level of just absolutely shocking behavior and i don't know how to feel exactly but they're they're still even in this moment presented as very uh, arched and silly, and so very rarely do I find their level of, I guess, bigotry to genuinely be that upsetting. It has its moments, like they do have it throughout the show, but in this episode, it's like, of course, it's just kind of you know, like you laugh at them. It's like, oh, guys, don't you realize that everything is falling right now and you're still doing this shitty little game of tit for tat with this Narn here? And when the stuff all fires off and they're, they're at war with one another now, like, oh, we, we're finally at war with the Interstellar Alliance. This minister comes in and he's fucking loving it. He's like, yes, we're at war. But one of his first things he wants to do is, now that we're at war, we, gotta, we have a legitimate reason to arrest that filthy Narn. It's like, guys, your priorities. 
Your fucking priorities. Can you figure those out for us? No, but they have figured them out. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're dumb. Yes. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I love that. Like, there's still, it's like when Jakarta, when Londo described the whole guarding the flower. Where it's like, yeah, you have to guard the flower. That's how it all works. That's how it works here. It's like, oh, instead of like worrying like Londo does about how this will all spin out of control and that perhaps we should try and stop it. They're they're just all fuddy duddies and weird like like this. And Londo tries to be a, a, a you know a good man. Rachel, he tries to be a, a good guy. He he wants to stand with Jakar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that get him? Thrown in jail with Jakar. Uh, and his little moment of like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> No, he's not stupid enough to imprison his own prime minister. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> that, that is like such a sitcom comedy cut moment. Uh, it is. It's, it, it's great. It's a great moment of levity in this really dark moment. And then... <laughs> they're just left there. Just left. Zooms out. You see little... Lodo's face. And he says something along the lines of, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't know what's happening anymore. Reminds me of Sinclair at the end of season one. Yeah. Nothing's the same anymore. The Garibaldi angle of this is, it's, 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 it's really hard to even want to talk about because it is... I find it too real in how upsetting it is with Londo. It's like, oh, we can talk about all these great themes and messages and overarching things and the the JMS special and and all of that because like Londo's like a really fun TV show character, but Garibaldi, especially with the stuff he's going through in this episode, it just it's just it, it's, it's deeply, sad. Yeah, it's it, it's just fucking depressing. Like it's, re- but it's earned. Like it, uh, it, it's it's good. It's good. Like it's done very well, but it's very, very upsetting for a character too. That I I think it's fair to say that all of us here on this podcast have not been the the biggest fans of. And Sean Garibaldi as a character for you, I know that you've not been the biggest lover of him overall, but uh, with season five, some of that has begun begun to shift over because of how they've definitely handled his his alcoholism. And I'd like to uh, know more from you about um, how you feel about it and in this episode. Yeah, I honestly like I I think some of um, some of Jerry Doyle's best acting has come from this i i feel like um especially with when he kind of gets to do a scene like the one he has with zach here uh he gets some also some very good ones i think later on with uh with lockley and with some other characters with with sheridan uh but really here with zach i it feels very sincere i i, I especially really like that just how blunt zach is with him just telling him that you know that he's drunk and that is that that his uh is uh his hand-eye coordination sucks, which is very blunt language for sometimes for uh, for a show like this. Um, and I, I appreciate, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, he, it's a very vul- it, it's probably the most vulnerable place we we see Garibaldi in. It's kind of like his big vice. Um, we've we saw a little bit earlier on in the you know at the in like the first season of the show hasn't really come up too much since then um, until you know really kind of later on here. And, uh, yeah, like, honestly, I thought, like, uh, 
there, there's a lot of pain in it. Uh, there's a lot of like knowing pain. Uh, and I, honestly, I think, um, I mean, a, a big part of it obviously is the writing too. I think that's from JMS. It feels like it's coming from a, a very real place. Um, so I think it really adds to it, but, um, yeah, like honestly, I like that they're kind of grappling with this. It feels very sincere. It doesn't feel jokey. It doesn't feel inappropriate. It feels very um, and, and very. It, it feels very appropriate for his character to be dealing with this. So I honestly, I I thought, uh, yeah, Garibaldi's not really my favorite. Um, I don't think he'll ever be necessarily. Uh, but like, this is probably some of his best character work, in my opinion. Rachel, how has this storyline and and this scene in particular? Uh, impacted you and or changed on the on the rewatches it, it's one that i always forget is coming and then i find it very striking because as you p- pointed out the they've set up this fault in garibaldi from very early on so when we get it reestablished, you're like, okay, well, what's going to be, what's it going to fuck up this time for falling asleep? Because we had it on the Drazi homeworld as well. Yeah. And then I always find that I am just internally screaming at Sheridan when he gives Garibaldi this responsibility. Like, no. Anybody but him, please. But how's Sheridan please. to please? But how's Sheridan to know? But then he says, "Oh, I, I, I knew, but I didn't want to admit that I knew." And it's just like, yeah, like yeah, I get it. He's the person that's in charge, but uh, oh, they could have picked anybody else. <laughs> Oh, of course, but he's also the important person. Uh, what I really like and what you're saying too is this storyline isn't just about how it affects Garibaldi. It's not just about how his actions may move the needle forward for whatever the plot is, but we also get to see how it influences people around him and how it makes them feel and how they respond to it. We've now had three characters say to Garibaldi in different ways, I know you have a problem, let me help you. We've had Franklin reach out. You are going to destroy your life if you don't let somebody help you. We've had, yeah, we, we exactly. We had Franklin do it in a very quiet way, very matter of, fa- matter of fact. He, he leaned over to him before we went out and just said, hey, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. And he left it at that. Then we had Lise respond as the partner, and she was pissed off. She was upset with him. She put ultimatums on him. And now we have Zach Allen come in, someone who's also recovering, and he has a very, he takes it very personally, and he just says things, as Sean's mentioned, in a very matter of fact way, in a very blunt way, in a way that Garibaldi maybe needs to hear. But also, since he is so personal, he perhaps can't take those extra steps to help Garibaldi that Garibaldi may need because he lets Garibaldi off the hook in this moment because 
he trusts Garibaldi. He wants the best for Garibaldi. Also, their relationship is built on second chances. That's that's it. That's the strength of the relationship. But also here we see how that can be something that can be detrimental in the long run too. And uh, Steve Garibaldi is a character that, for all of his uh, for all of his grand stuff, he's always been a character that's full of faults. And perhaps at times it's hard to recognize it recognize if the show is aware of how bad he can be but in this last season or even two seasons Garibaldi's been very much thrown in the mud and had to lay in it and I want to know how this has been working or not working for you how do you feel about season five Garibaldi or the later stages of his character in which he, out of the main cast, like out of the Earth, Earth, like human cast, he has to crawl through broken glass to potentially get a good ending. It, it comes back to acting, and I, Sean said it earlier, where it's just like I gotta give it to him. Uh, we've, I have not been a big fan of Garibaldi in the past. Just the character as written was just like, oh, this is a character I don't like. Um, but this has been a pretty compelling story, and Jerry Doyle is doing, like Sean said, I think the best work of his career. Uh, at least in Babylon Five, like telling this story about how Garibaldi is kind of falling and um, pushing people away. Uh, I don't know if this was intentional behind the scenes stuff. I, I understand that he did kind of relapse around this time, and JMS was trying to maybe nudge him away. I don't know if that was part of it, but uh, whatever the case, it, it was it was good. This is my favorite Garibaldi for sure. It was last season Garibaldi. There is behind the scenes about this, and yes, Jerry Doyle was drinking too much, and JMS tried to talk to him, and it wasn't really working, and so he he wrote this storyline to kind of examine it more and to hopefully connect with Jerry Doyle more, and also in the later part of season five, Jeff Conaway was also uh, struggling with addiction again. And so that's why Zach Allen is also roped into this too. It's basically, this is a scene in which the characters are having a conversation with one another, but it's also, in the meta sense, it's JMS wishing that they could be able to have this conversation together too, and it would hopefully do something. And sadly, for both the actors in this uh, storyline and scene, they both um, had terrible endings due to their addictions. Jerry Doyle drank himself to death and Jeff Conaway's um, circumstances were horribly documented on reality television for everyone to see. Yeah, And it makes the scene really hard to watch if you know that stuff. And even if you don't, I think what makes it difficult for me is these two guys, these two characters have been for a long run of the show presented as, you know, schmucks. As, as just common guys, even if they're high-ranking security or in charge of spies, like in the group, they're presented as kind of sillier, a little bit more fun. And then when you get to see Zach Allen be dead serious and put his gun on the table, it it is just it's it, it rips your heart out because it's like, whoa! If 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 Zach Allen is having to sit you down right now and talk like this, it must be real bad. And that's not to say anything about bad about the character. He's one of my favorite characters, but that's the thing is it's like, if he, a guy who's just like a 
I just want to keep my head down low and get a, get, get a steady paycheck. If he's having to come in and tell you this, then it's, uh, it's real hard stuff. And I think, too, this is Jeff Conaway's best acted scene in the show. I think this is probably his best. I, I always look back on this one as one of the great examples of the great potential he had as an actor because many people know him for Knicky, of course, or for his comedy work and taxi and, 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 and shows and movies like that. And Babylon 5 gave many of these actors the opportunities to flesh out and uh, stretch out those acting muscles that maybe you didn't get to see a lot of in their career. I mean, Peter Jurisic's the same. He was a comedy actor. He, he's, he's a little funny guy in NYPD Blue, not NYPD Blue, Hill Street Blues. He's just like the 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 snitch. In this show, he gets to be probably one of the most dramatically compelling actors here. And there is a great quote I have. I don't often whip out the JMS quotes, Rachel. You know this. I I I do. I do. We've actually had people ask, like, why do we never refer to the Lurkers Guide on this? And I, a part of it is like I like to just go off of what the show gives me. I don't yep. always need JMS to talk to me about it. Which, hey, by the way. Love the fact that he he's there to talk to, and he he's documented a lot of stuff that, especially in this era, many many creatives didn't. Not every show was having the creative right, like the creative people, talking to you on the web or anywhere about like this, unless you had a panel or something. But I wanted to bring this up because I I really like this JMS quote. So this is him talking about some of the differences between Babylon 5 and, say, Star Trek or or other properties in the sci-fi realm, and it kind of ties into this. So he says, The Star Trek universe seemed to say that for us to go into the stars, we have to leave behind important part of ourselves, the good, the bad, our vices, our avarice, our commercialism, but also our faith and our beautiful fractures. And I thought, no, we will still carry that with us. When settlers came to the Americas from Europe, they didn't leave behind their culture. They brought it with them. It gave them a continuity in a a new world. So it was important for us to show that continuity. We see religion, alcoholism, drug abuse, all the things that ennoble us or plague us carried into the future. You bring the beauty as well. That's what JMS had to say about plot lines like this. You're an alcoholic, Michael. You can't just have a few drinks and get over it. You can't justify it or explain it. You can't play the feel sorry for me game or you're no better game. And if I'm pissed at you, it's because I'm your friend. And I know what you've been through to get here. I've been through the same thing myself and I don't want to see you throw it all away. I think it's that moment of the show, everyone's favorite bit. It's Rachel's favorite bit because I make the joke about the Michael (sighs) Keaton film Spotlight. But no, we're not talking about... Mark Ruffalo's film Spotlight. We are in fact talking about Spotlight, the part of the show where we talk about an actor or actress that appeared in the given episode. Go over their performance, any interesting pieces of trivia or things that we may have seen them in over the years. And who are we talking about, Rachel? The minister. The Centauri minister guy? Yeah, he gets a name next episode, but I can't remember what it is right now. <laughs> Not in this episode. And he's never credited with that name. He's only given... He is given it, but he's never... Cre- he's always minister, which is funny. But who's the actor? Well, we- which of his names was he credited by in this episode? Tom McCreevy? Okay. <laughs> I do believe. Tom, T-O-M. Not T H O M, which is a point of contention yeah. in his catalogue of work. He's very confusing to me. We- T M. 
<laughs> yeah, OT, yeah, but uh, we we will talk about the confusion of this actor's life or name in a moment. But Rachel, what do you think about this performance? We've seen he's a lot. having fun. I like it. I like him. He's a another Centauri freak. We have so many of them during the show. What makes any of them stand out after a certain point? I feel like I need to give that question to Steve. I mean, Steve, you are you are a little bit of an expert on uh, Centauri freakdom. Yeah, he's like the different flavors that you get for this, these Centauri freaks. Like you get these real sniveling people and these real like loopy people. He's just like really there's a formality to him. You know, like he he's he feels like he's always announcing something. Like his chest is always full of air. He's um, arrived and he's on business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's also a freak, you know? So it's just like he's he's about to use a very deep and commanding voice to say something like really just unacceptable. Uh, Rachel, that that's some great insight, but <laughs> what were some favorite little moments in the episode or the previous that you've seen when it comes to, to this character and this performance? Because... To me, it is the voice as well. Yeah, it's the voice, and I think he manages to do a really good job at being a presence on, like, the screen within the screen, which is not a skill that everybody has. (laughs) Like, he feels connected to the scene that's, like, happening secondary, like, to him. Like, because... The majority of his moments are him talking via the Babcom to somebody on Babylon 5. And then we get the delight of him in person as well. So that does help him feel real when he's not physically in the same space as the characters. He feels like a jock. To me, like he feels like somebody who would have played high school football now that they've somehow worked their way up to being a college professor and he hates you because he has such a smugness and he has like this big chin and jawline. Like he's just just got this look of like, yeah, I've played rugby in my time and don't you know me, Londo? He's just such a smug. I kept writing smug. This guy, what he brings to the Centauri Mm. is a level of smug. And it's not like he is... Uh, masterminding, no, like otherwise he's not, not conniving. Arrogant. He's just... That's not his style. Yeah, he's just such a worm, and there's there's just something off about him every time you... he shows up. He's just like something you can off about tell you. that he's a conniving worm. He reminds me of the guy who plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, and then I found out it's like, oh, because they're both Irish, and they both have that very specific way of talking where they Cadence, enunciate yeah. a certain way, like Patrick McGowan does too. Like Patrick, if, if people you don't know Patrick McGowan, obviously watch The Prisoner, but also watch his episodes of the you know Columbo. But like, the, when you get these Irish people, and you throw them into American shows, and you go, now sound posh while you're being a prick. It just adds a certain ooze to it, and I just really love that. Uh, Sean, Centauri uh, are always wonderful to see, but also Babylon 5, consistently throughout its run, brings in these type of little guest spot actors in which you can always rely on Babylon 5 having a guest actor that is delightful to see, while Star Trek, 
you're not always guaranteed that. Star Trek, it's like, well, you may be guaranteed boring guest spot actors, if not. But Babylon 5, they always bring in like these kooky guys. And I, I want to know for, for you, as someone who does a podcast where you talk about like the strange men of Babylon 5, what is it about like someone like him that it, it just has that factor to it all? I, I think it's just fun with with uh, with Centauri, where it's it's kind of just like I I don't yeah it's, it's the, the JMS just has this uh, 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 I don't know he he's good at picking out these just like these weird little freaks to, to kind of come on and kind of color the show a little bit, and it's kind of just like th- this guy is uh, yeah like I I really like that he's just so. Um, and not only smug, but just like it's it's that addition of being kind of dismissive. Like it, like Londo is asking something very reasonable, which is just to talk to the region and just figure out what the hell's going on. Like he is the he is the prime minister at this point, uh, and like you know it's a pretty prominent position. And this guy just keeps he just keeps deflecting, uh, and and not only deflecting, but kind of making Londo giving Londo the impression that he is the one who is being too much. Um, and like he's he's asking unreasonable questions, uh, very kind of gaslighty in that kind of way. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just like it, it's it's really fun. Like he can just JMS knows how to get these uh, just for these roles that were these characters show up for like one sometimes just one episode. Uh, in, in this case, maybe just like a few with this guy. And it's kind of just like they're just very memorable. They They stick in your mind. Now, I want to bring up a debate that's been had for many years about this one character. And I, I don't know if you guys have had it yourself, but do you think this guy has a keeper or do you think he's just a dickhead? Because that's been a question asked because he is very weird and he keeps talking in weird ways like the region does at times too, but it's never stated. And I just want to know because I can flip a coin on which I think it is at any given point. Uh, uh, Steve, what do you think about this guy? Do you think he's just one of the Centauri stooges or do you think he is a creepy crawler stooge? That's a, I didn't even think that he might have a, a creepy crawler on him. Just like because he's just he just toes the Centauri line so well. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if in some novel or maybe maybe even in the new animated movie they reveal he had a little creepy crawler. I, that would make sense. But I think to me it's more interesting that he just so blindly follows the party line with such gusto. It doesn't matter what the regent says. Just he'll do it anyway. Yeah, he's going to if the regent says to commit this kind of like acts of war like yeah he'll do it i mean that's interesting because i actually was under the impression that he probably had some kind of keeper on him i actually didn't even really i actually didn't even really consider that he wouldn't uh which is interesting but that i mean it makes sense that he wouldn't because yeah i mean i i think i can i don't know i guess it could go either way i guess because it's really like i i can see him just being kind of just such a stooge um but i i, I think for me I, I guess because it was just so pointed to me that he was just like so unquestioning like just to the point of like not even but but then again it's like yeah well actually that that actually tracks that's the Centauri yeah so yeah actually yeah actually he might not now that I think about it Rachel on this viewing I thought no he's just scum that has risen to the top of the pond because the drak have slowly been cleaning out the palace 
I, yeah, I think he's just a stooge. I, you know what gave it away for me? So I've been like Sean. I'm like, oh, I just assumed he would. Or just how vehemently he is, uh, you know, going through the party line that the Drock are putting out there. But what gave it away to me to think otherwise was he talks to Veer in this episode too, by the way. Veer calls him up and he does this whole fucking song and dance bullshit about how Londo's just too busy right now. He's doing the same thing that he does to Londo about the regent, but now he's doing it to Veer about Londo. And Veer's getting worked up, and what the actor does, and this is so minute, and watch it again, you can tell the character is having fun fucking with Veer. And that, to me, says that this guy probably doesn't have a drug, he's just probably a prick. I think he's just probably a, a, a piece of scum, as you said, who's risen to this position and he's loving it. He's just loving being able to screw people over because that's the Centauri. They they find this excuse to rise to power so that they can just put out their petty, vindictive bullshit. I just, I just really love that. And again, we're talking about this guy who doesn't even really get a name. He's mainly on the TV screen for a lot of his episodes, but he just has such a such a cadence to the way he does things that he's one of the memorable Centauri ministers out of like how many have we met? We've met like so many Centauris and they're all great. And I'm wanting to know from our guests, was there anything when you looked at his work? Was there anything in there? Because he doesn't actually have a very long uh, catalogue of work. He's one of those people who has like, I think has like less than 10 things to his name on IMDb. Yeah, I guess I was just shocked that this was the last thing he did because he's just so good in it. I was like, oh, geez, that's it for this guy? Yeah, I, I was like really... he's still alive. So, I I mean, it, I don't know. It just, he yeah. was great. Yeah, he was very, very good. Yeah. So nothing else you've seen with him in it? No, I don't think I've seen anything else with him in it, no. Yeah, I've never seen like... Not that I, I recall. I've never seen the right? Hulk show. I've never... I, I've watched I've watched a Hulk show, but I cannot recall. This was, you know, there's so many one-off people there. But I was interested in a show that has my name in it. That's in his in his. That's his most recurring. That was his longest run. Ryan's Hope, I do believe it's called, <laughs> in which it's a show about Irish American family in New York, I do believe. And the show had Kate Mulgrew in it, had Janeway in it. You know, Janeway. And he's in, like, over 200 episodes of this show. And it's, like, one of the first things he did. And it's, like, oh, okay. And I was just curious of what his deal is because you look at him on IMDb and all it says is, like, oh, he was born in Dublin in 1946 or something like that. And it's, like, oh, and he did, like, these handful of things. And, and that's it. That's all you get. And there's no other information. And so I was, like, what's his story? What's his deal? And it's, like... The only way I could track any of it together was by looking at some of the things he did and being able to figure it out. And it seems like it's kind of up in the air, but like, I, I, like he came over to America at some point during the mid to late 70s to be able to do this show because this show seemed to be like it was in America because it's a lot of American actors with also some Irish character actors in there too. And... Yeah, I just find it interesting because also it's like Kate Mulgrew's an actress that I like very much, but I will be honest, I don't know her work very well. Like I know her from three thing, three or four things in particular. Like I know her from Voyager. I know her from Orange is New Black. I love her and throw Mama from the train where she's a bitch. <laughs> she's just an absolute worst person ever. Um, and I was just kind of fascinated. It's like, oh, she was in like a show where she did like 
double the amount of episodes that she ever did for Star Trek. And it's like, does anyone know this show? Does anyone know this show's existence now? It's just, you know, that's just how it goes. Like some of these go for like thousands of episodes. And then once they're done, it's like no one thinks about them. They're gone. They're in the ether. Especially ones from that time. It doesn't matter. Why really doesn't matter. What counts is what you are. And what you are is a lying, manipulative, selfish, self-indulgent, destructive, over-emotional little witch. He has an evolution of his name, essentially. So our theory, our working theory, is that he further, like, I want to say anglicized, but it's just like that doesn't really Americanized his name. Americanized his name to make it less overtly Irish. More palatable, I guess. Or it could be other actors have this name too. So he was originally Thomas McCreevy, so M-A-C, not just M-C, Creevy. And yes, Thomas, T-H-O-M. And then it made me go, oh, well, he used to be called that. Maybe I could find this actor because there's no way to find this actor, by the way. I don't know if he's still around. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. Like Steve, I was like, where's no this website. guy? No website. Where's this guy? Does he do theater? Does he does he do ads? Like, what's his deal? Because after B5, it's just like this guy disappeared from the face of the earth. Is he back in Ireland? Who knows? And then it's like, oh, he used to be credited by this name. Maybe I can find him under this name. No, there's another actor by that name who's 93 years old and was in the Naked Gun movies. When I looked his name up on Ancestry, it did come up with a John Thomas McCreary that died in 95. And I was like... That would be before this. Um... Like, that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up. He's, that's not him. Oh, there's like an Irish poet with this name too. And then there was like another version of his name that we found. It was like, it was again like Tom, but T-O-M. But McCreevy spelled differently again. And he did like one other acting role in something else under that name. And it's like, you could look it up on IMDb. It's like, what? And then there's another Tom McCreevy who was in like a bunch of horror movies in the 80s, like in Waxwork. And I, and it's just like, oh no. So we have nothing really to say about this actor other than he, he is a mystery he's he, he's like he went into the into the bermuda triangle with babylon 5 we've never found him no, again but even then it would be more documented he just disappeared i don't know what's his story usually we find even with actors with smaller credits to their name than this guy things this he's just gone <laughs> he you know what he did he he did his three guest spots on B5 and said that's the finest acting work I've ever done in my life and then he just disappeared into yeah. the wind he just blew he, away maybe he just retired I did find some Thomas McCreary's that were like business professors I found one that runs a blood bank too many too many and they all look I, the same I they all look like old Irish guys invented and apparently New version of meditation. Oh, yeah, so that's it. So, yes, Tom McCreevy is an enigma. If you know anything about him, please email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com and let us know if we you need think. To know. We need, Steve, please we, say we, it. We, we need to know. We need, say we need please. answers. We need answers. We need answers, listeners. We need to know who this man is. We need to send him a bouquet of flowers to say thank you for what you did on Babylon 5. We need to find him. 
And we need to ask, do you think he had a keeper? And he says, what's that? I didn't watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> I just starred in those episodes and was told to play smug. And so I did. And, and God bless you. You did it well, sir. And all my dreams torn asunder. We have finally reached the end of it all. And on our rating system of yum being bad and yum yum being good, where do we align this? Do we put it in the yum? Do we put it in the yum yum? Rachel, how do you feel about this? Yum yum. Yum yum. You sound so upset in your yum yum. Because it's like, why did you bother asking? Why did you bother asking? We've said nothing bad about this episode at all. Is there about that? I guess the only questionable thing is there's a random action scene with Franklin that happens. <laughs> hey, Via, we need to help we, you. Yeah, we, we, we did just to kind of ignore oh, that. Oh, that scene rules. That scene <laughs> it's was fun. so it's awesome. Yeah, fun. I want to express my incredible. support of uh, Franklin kicking that? ass. Yeah, I'm for it, but it's just such a weird thing to like. Why did why did JMS write that? Why not? Okay, okay. Why not? A little action. We want to see some blood get spilled. Sean, Hell yeah. are you going to dare be a contrarian and give this episode a yum? Uh, no, I, I mean, I really like this episode, so I, <laughs> I give it a yum yum. Yum yum. I'm a fan, of course. This is my favorite episode of the show. It still is. I still enjoyed it as much as I was expecting to, if not more. It has. It caters to all of the things that I want of the show, and I give it a yum yum. Yum yum. Steve, where are you? Not only just spiritually speaking, but on the yum-yum plane. Well, I'm in Chicago, Illinois. It's a city in the Midwest in America. But I love, this is a yum-yum. This is an excellent episode. One of the best. Yum-yum. We need to hear what is up next on Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5. Well, folks, you're going to love this. Episode 17, Movements of Fire and Shadow. Drazi and Narn militarists upend Sheridan's efforts to maintain a unified front in the war with the Centauris. Malari experiences a close encounter that's mysterious and perhaps life-altering. Uh, <laughs> Why were you laughing there, Steve? What was so funny? Uh, it's life-altering. It is. <laughs> A man some... takes off his shirt and throws some goo at him. No, no, that's not that episode. Oh, that's yeah. oh, oh. This is the episode oh, okay. where they, they drag well, him in and, and they to put some fair, alien fingers in his mouth and put it a oh, okay. there. It does, it sure, does lead right. there. It does lead it to does a man. It the introduction uh, to a, of Wayne Alexander as my favorite with, alien. Yeah, where he throws it off and he's like, get 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 it on me. <laughs> and they have a little bit of a, that, that's a real. Sean, you're going ahead. Scene. You're going too far. Calm I know, down. but it's calm it's a really it down, good scene. Sean. Leave it it's, for your really show. Got, Leave it, it for your very, show. We very... know we know he's getting the sex person this season. It's that guy. Got me very excited. Good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, both of you. This is your last time on Yum Yum Podcast talking about Babylon Five. Hmm. T roll. Yeah, bittersweet. Bittersweet. It is you bittersweet. Know? Unless you want to do Crusade too. Who uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's declared that from oh, the start. Boy. Look, if you pay us like a thousand dollar dues a month, we'll do a crusade. Yeah, well, I don't want to do it. I don't look. We're don't get me wrong. I don't. It. I don't hate crusade. <laughs> I just don't like it very much. It would be interesting to talk about crusade only in the capacity of what a failure it is and i already do that with discovery so i've got my i, I have no idea what to expect I, I don't know anything about it i have no idea what to expect so expect, in that regard it'll be interesting yeah expect uh do you know you do you know the character of warren keffer 
I yeah, know him. He's the yeah. only. Yeah, he's you know, he's you, my favorite remember, character in the show. Do you show. remember how he came about? Of, Great. Um, yeah. Network interference. About, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Enjoy that with Crusade. Oh, I um, see. All right. So, so we're gonna have a lot of Warren Keffer. So Warren Keffer is back. This is a folks. this is a winner. I'm not saying Warren. There's Warren. I'm not saying there's Warren Keffer in it. I'm just saying expect TNT to say, hey, we want a voice in the show now too. Ooh, so, um, but well, no wrestlers. Get appear. Ted Turner to uh, give his notes, and uh, that's, that's that, gonna be good. Yeah, JMS goes over in his autobiography the horrifying, horrifying notes that TNT would give him. But that's Can't a story wait. for another time. That is all we have to say. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and thank you, boys, for coming on. You have finished uh, the main lot of the show, but you still have things ahead ahead of you. So please tell us all about your podcast again and, and where it can be found, where you guys are at on the interwebs. Uh, well, see if you want. You know, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> so it's the last best, the last best Babylon Five podcast. Uh, and uh, we have now. I mean, when you start listening, if you start listening to the podcast, Steve and I are newbies to it. Our our, our co host Ben is the only one who's seen it. Uh, but we, we are now, we have ascended uh, to Ben's level. We have seen everything Ben has seen. You're like Jason Einhardt, you have become. The, yes, uh, the, all of the main show. So you can watch us grow and learn from Babylon 5. And then from here on out, you're going to get to see us not only watch uh, you know, Crusade, all these other movies, uh, the new Legends movie. Legends of the Rangers. But of course, Legends of the Rangers, which is going to be the big, um, the big blast. That's going to be a 12-hour episode. Because I know that that uh, I think, that one's going to be yeah. special. Don't don't underestimate the Lost Tales. I keep joking. Oh, you keep thinking Tales, I'm yeah. joking, but I don't don't underestimate. Everyone everyone I keeps keep fucking slamming slamming. I'll just say this. And Ben, if you're listening, which he doesn't, if you listen and you say this is a spoiler, fuck you. But if you think Legends of the Rangers is a staggering low point, wait till you get to Lost Tales. Enjoy. I'm going to be blunt and say that I don't. Um, I don't. Maybe this is controversial, but I don't particularly care about any of this getting spoiled. I, I, <laughs> at this point, yeah. I, at this point, like if you spoiled the show for me, that I would be upset. But if it's any but of this you, stuff, if you say to me, Ryan, are you care. saying Blank isn't in Lost Tales? How could that yeah. be? Well, oh no, uh, oh, yeah, no. it's like well, Warren Keffer's not in Lost Tales. I mean, Look, if I said he, if I said he was in Why the road watch? home, would that make you feel better? It, uh, no. Only yes. if they got Robert Rustler. I'm not promising that. that. I think he's oh, done okay. with B5. But uh, <laughs> he never talks about it. Uh, if people ask him at, at it at conventions, he asks for someone else to give a question out. Uh, he did not have a good time with the show, wow. evidently. <laughs> and I'm JMS so still defends treating him like shit on Twitter. He had, yes. JMS, yeah. JMS, added, JMS fucking tore me apart on Twitter because I was like, I feel bad for the actor. And he just says, well, that's an actor's life. They sign up for what they get. I'm like, well, I don't think he signed up for that. He signed up to be a lead actor in the show. And he goes, well, there's no promises. I'm like, well, he's contract man said otherwise, bitch. Uh, uh, he's in the opening know. credits. Yeah. But yeah, enough Keffer talk. You guys talk about Keffer enough. Last Best Babylon 5 podcast. You're on all the podcasts catches on the on the yes. on the internet and oh yeah social oh, yeah. media i don't even know if you exist there anymore oh we're on we're uh, on instagram yeah i don't we, know we we update but that's where we are now yeah <laughs> on insta 
instant gray. Oh, and on uh, blue sky, we're, we we have a blue sky. Are we on blue sky? Uh, we do. Yeah, we're on, yeah we're on blue sky. <laughs> I, I think we are. Yeah. Uh, Sean Sean's yeah. discovering Sean, about his own podcast. Sean's saying that as he's creating a last best beef yeah, file yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on blue sky. Yeah, yeah. I think we're on there, or maybe maybe on, maybe we're not. Uh, yeah, I thought we yeah. were. Yeah, don't forget don't about know. threads. I don't think we're on. We're not on Twitter anymore. Um, because you mean X. X, whatever. <laughs> They're on Instagram, so you we are. We're on Instagram. Instagram. I can confirm that we're on Instagram. Yeah, they so, might be so on threads by default. It's true. Yeah, you could uh, have been uh, lured uh, into the thread. Uh, uh, we are on all of those social medias under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. You can enjoy what we share on there and see us interact with the Babylon Boys from time to time. If you are not following us on uh, the podcast hosting site that you are listening to this on, you should. You should do that. So you get updated on when we release new episodes of our discussions on Babylon 5, or you can go back through the back catalog and hear us talk about Star Trek Discovery. We even had Steve on for a Star Trek Discovery episode. Sean, I would have loved to have had you on for Star Trek Discovery. Hey, how about this? The last season of the show's coming out. How about you Watch all of it in oh, preparation God. so that you could come on and talk uh, to us about binge. David Cronenberg asking them uh, to fix a Rubik's Cube. That's literally the plot of the final I season. I mean, I think it would, I guess it would be interesting to see one just completely out of context. Um, but I, I, context yeah, is for I, kings. I don't want to watch. Isn't, isn't that right, Steve? Context? It's for kings, <laughs> oh, isn't it? God, That's, I, I, I like that line, but uh, yeah, I, I don't like that anything else. Except I love Saru. I love Saru. We all love Doug Jones. Well, good thing they trashed Saru's character. You can hear us talk all about that on other episodes, and we have our Patreon where you can hear us talk about a whole buttload of stuff. We're going through the Star Wars movies right now. that is where you can contribute to the $1,000 a month that that will make Ryan agree to do Crusade. I I will perhaps buy it on DVD if you give me a 1000 bucks right now. Perhaps I'll buy it on DVD. My parents have the DVD of it right now. I don't have it in my house. I don't want it near my B5 DVDs. It's gross. How dare you? Although it does have a very handsome Daniel Day Kim on the cover. And that's, I mean, if you have a picture of of Daniel Day Kim in your house, then it's, got, it's worth something. He's a handsome. He's, You're blessed. It's the Chad doctor from The Good Doctor, for fuck's sake. He's there to be told that that man's a surgeon. But, but, but Ryan, there is something that we... We, we've left till last. Mm. We mentioned the scene. We didn't mention this moment because I, I, I think both of us were a little disappointed. Heartbroken. Heartbroken. Sean, Steve, do you know what we're talking about? SS, do you know? No, uh, I, I'm along for sure. this journey, yeah. <sighs> you think they would have been on the pod before? Yeah. You think they would remember how we end these? Yeah. Go on. Uh, Jakar thumps his chest. He does that a lot during the show. Yes, 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 he does. He 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 does it, and and it's it's a beautiful moment. And and Delenn does the Minbari goodbye. The hand in the air. He holds back. Hmm. He doesn't say it out loud because he's just so overwhelmed with the moment that they're sharing, the gratitude and thanks. That's being communicated through their eyes. I blame his new eye for stopping him from saying it. He doesn't say good eating to you. 
in the gathering, he walked up to Takashima, and when he was finished talking to her, he made it prominent that the non-farewell was tapping the chest and saying good eating to you, because that's the alien way of saying goodbye. And then JMS, Mr. Oh, I follow up on everything, doesn't follow up on that. And guess what else he doesn't follow up on? He never references Takashima again outside of the gathering either. Not even, not even a, hey, Takashima, never names drops her, never mentions her again. Dog, Why did I coward. think there was a line where it's like, oh, and she's been missing for over a year. No, that's that's Catherine Sakai. Ah. That's, yeah. Your thing, the closest we get is yeah. Ivanova. You're new here. That's it. No, no Takashima love from this show. No, you talk she, about she gets Kefra. credited with the coffee plant. No, no, no. Right? Ivanova is like, I have a coffee plant that I, it, it transports onto Ivanova. This show hates Kefa and Takashima with equal measure. At least one of them gets referenced more and that is weirdly enough kefa but good eating to you sean good eating to you steve thank you we will eat uh, well to you as well yes 